May it please the listeners. My name is Rich Schoenstein, and this is Law Brief. Today, I have with me my partner and healthcare lawyer, Steve Polyakov. How you doing, Steve? I'm having a lovely day. How about you, Rich? Also lovely. We're going to talk about something really interesting today, which is some of the trends in technology in healthcare, which anybody who utilizes healthcare, which is most of us probably knows is a trend and what it means for the legal world. So let's talk about topic number one today, Steve, telehealth. This is a practice that is booming, especially since the pandemic, right? Absolutely. So what telehealth basically means is that patients can log on to a platform such as Zoom or another one. We're actually working with quite a few of them and allow you to connect with an available physician, physical therapist, nurse practitioner, whoever it is you're seeking to meet with and have that session comfortably from your house and no waiting, no lines, just you and the doctor one-on-one. Right. And it's very efficient. I'm sure about that. What are some of the other benefits people get from that Absolutely. So like I said, you don't have to actually leave your home. That's a big benefit. Most folks don't have, I don't want to say most folks, but oftentimes people don't want to go to a doctor or a physician if they have something that they feel is simple. This allows them to more openly communicate with their physician, ask all the questions you need and not worry that you're wasting time. By not having to go to a medical practice, you're not around sick people, which during the days of COVID is fantastic. And one of the reasons this industry is booming, again, you don't have to worry about six feet distance because you're home by yourself. What's also cool is that a lot of these platforms are developing little devices that you can use to attach to yourself to track your biometrics. So that way your doctor can see live over a history of time how you're doing, how your heart rate's doing, your pulse, your blood pressure, all these wonderful things, and they can give you real-time feedback, which is phenomenal. A lot of folks also don't like really going into physical therapy because it's uncomfortable, they're in pain, and they're put in sort of awkward positions while they're doing this. Now you could just do it from home with an instructor. The same way you do a class online, you have physical therapy online where the with the physical therapist would guide you through the exercises you need to perform. Now that one I hadn't thought of yet. I have experience with non-complicated telehealth appointments like my kid has this rash, can you look at it and tell me what it is? And then you find out you just need to go get, you know, this or that to treat it. But I had not thought about the physical therapy, right? That's really a a good idea that you could do that in your own home the same way you might use an online workout coach. That's exactly right. And the best part is, is that some platforms are doing it a per minute, per hour situation. So you might not even need to pay for a full session, right? You could pay for the the few minutes that you require it, or you could pay as needed. And there's a lot of insurance coverage for these treatments as well, which is fantastic. Okay. So this sounds great from the point of view of someone who utilizes medical care from time to time, getting to have it in your own home. I understand the idea of using technology to even as a diagnostic tool from a distance and doing rehab and other treatment from a distance. So let's talk about some of the legal implications of that. What kind of legal concerns does this new use of remote technology for medical treatment lead to? So what's interesting is that because of the COVID pandemic, the federal government has suspended the requirement 
that a physician be licensed in the state where they're providing service, meaning I can be in New York and get treatment from somebody in California who I hear is the greatest specialist and not have to worry about flying to California. The legal question there is how long this is going to last. So the executive branch has extended this for another three-month period about, I would say, uh, about a month ago. So we are in June, so it's expended until I think August. I don't recall the exact date, but essentially you need to keep an eye out on what happens after. The other thing is that we're really worried about is how are patients incentivized to participate in these platforms? What we want to avoid is any appearance of impropriety, meaning you don't want to seem like you're giving people a heavy discount to see one practitioner over the other. That would be considered a violation of the anti-kickback statute. So that's one thing. You want to make sure that all patients are treated equally amongst the doctors that they're seeing. The other concern is how do you pay your providers? New York especially has a a very strict anti-fee splitting statute, meaning that you can't charge a percentage for whatever the practitioner earns. You have to find a way to structure it in such a way that it's agnostic to the volume or the quality of the treatment. One of the solutions that we found very helpful is charging a technology fee from the platform's perspective, either an hourly technology fee or a flat technology fee. Steve, do you think there's momentum for permanently getting rid of the requirement for in-state treatment. I mean, now that we're using this virtual technology, does it really make a difference if your doctor is in New York or New Jersey or Oregon? I think there's definitely momentum to get rid of that requirement that you have to be in the place where you're practicing, given the technology aspect of it. However, I feel there's going to be some regulatory pull towards separating sort of state lines again, because each state is going to want to protect their own physicians. They're not going to want outside physicians to sort of solicit patients in that state. It's going to be an archaic requirement, I think much like the LLC publication requirement that we have in New York. Once you form a company, everyone knows you form a company, but you still have to put it through newspapers. So same here, even though you have the technology, you're still going to need a license to practice in the state. That's interesting. So in terms of these legal issues that are coming up, who needs the legal advice here? Is it the doctors, the patients, or the technology providers, or everybody? So (laughs) I'd love to say everybody, because that's what we do. But realistically, realistically, it's the doctors need to be aware to make sure they're paying properly, and most importantly, the tech providers. Because the tech providers not only are responsible for presenting the patients and the physicians with the agreements, because they're the ones effectively running the show, they also have to be really careful with the information security aspect of it, meaning they have to be strict adherents to HIPAA requirements, and they have to make sure that their information technology is secure as humanly possible. All right. All very interesting. Let's move to another area because another trend we're seeing in healthcare, and this is, I think, obvious to most people, is the development of urgent care centers where you can go in any mall, in any street corner, and find an urgent care facility where you can get medical treatment. Is that still a growing trend? It is absolutely a growing trend, especially in communities that don't necessarily have a lot of medical practices to support them, where they have to get in the car and drive for a long period of time. More and more urgent care centers are popping up to deal with the overflow of emergency treatment. And these newly built urgent care centers use technology to further reduce patient wait times and ensure that every treatment is a streamlined process so that you're in and out. So you're not surrounded by, again, sitting around folks that are also not well. It's growing. It's really growing. Right. And it's the same kind of benefits for remote 
appointments in terms of less wait time, more efficient, not being around other patients. I get all of that. And I suppose this gives you a place to go if getting a doctor on your computer is not good enough. Right. And what's interesting is there's new technology being built that allows these urgent care centers to really streamline the patient experience. For example, intake from an iPad that's maybe you fill out before you go to the doctor. The way the waiting rooms are now set up, it's sort of individual cabinets, modular, where you're not sitting next to a sick person or you're isolated from other patients. And it really allows you to get the treatment that you need. Of course, it's not for life-threatening situations. It's for general things like you cut your finger or you have a cold or or symptoms of COVID or anything along those lines. So it really helps smooth line and gives access to healthcare to new communities that may not have access previously. And what are some of the legal issues that arise from building out these urgent care facilities? So what's interesting is that urgent care are really treated under Article 28. So we call them urgent cares, but their technical designation is an independent diagnostic and treating facilities. What that means is that if you are a layperson, if you are not a doctor, by obtaining a certificate of need from the Department of Health, you are able to run effectively a medical practice and can hire out doctors. Again, it's really a challenge to get that certificate of need, and you really want to be careful that you don't open an urgent care center and just start operating because you don't want to operate in a legal business. What's also interesting is if you are a physician, you don't need that certificate of need. You can operate the urgent care center as long as you have the right credentials. So really need to be careful of how that's done. Can non-doctors invest in urgent care facilities? Yes, as long as they have that certificate of need. Under Article 28, that is permissible. Okay. So I assume there's a fair amount of investment money going into these build-outs that we're seeing all across the country. Exactly. And that's where you see the boom in technology. It's no longer a doctor or a couple of doctors getting together to open an urgent care center. You have big money coming in where you can sort of invest in the tech and the development of it. But the other thing you really want to be careful if you're investing is how you compensate your doctors and you compensate your managers. Again, you don't want to be perceived as doing anything illegal. So again, in terms of paying the doctors, you can't sort of, for the services that doctors perform, they have to bill for their professional component, meaning you can't take a percentage of whatever treatment they take, or they pay you a flat fee to access to work for you or some kind of fee. And you want to be careful how you compensate the managers as well, because you don't want to commingle. Right. So when you build out one of these urgent care facilities, you have to think about your corporate structure, you have to think about your regulatory restrictions, you have to think about medical requirements, of course, you have to think about employment law, you might have to think about construction and real estate law because you got to get a space to do it. You really have to cross all of those legal bases. Yeah. And in terms of construction, you also want to make sure you fulfill the requirements to be designated as an urgent care center. There's very detailed, specific requirements on how you have to build. So you want to be careful there too. All right. Well, after you go to one of these urgent care centers, you're very likely going to walk out with a prescription. So that'll take us to our last category for this episode. We're going to talk about pharmacies. So what are the latest trends with pharmacies? So pharmacies are, believe it or not, the pharmacy, independent pharmacy sector is still growing. Um, there's some traction to sort of give them more rights that we're working on. But aside from that, there's incredible leaps and bounds in technology in the independent pharmacy space. Now robots are being used in other machinery to sort of dispense medicine, sort of getting rid of the human error aspect of it. They have these big arm machines that complete pills. They're structuring the pharmacy similar to the urgent care centers where it's streamlined process, where there's less 
other patient interaction, but you're more interacting with the pharmacist. So it's been really incredible. And along with modular technology in terms of construction, you're getting a lot nicer spaces and the patients are having a much more nuanced experience and a much more enjoyable experience. And by the use of technology, the pharmacist is able to spend more time with the patients explaining things versus actually dispensing the medicine, which I think is fascinating. All right. And so what are the legal concerns that come out of that use of technology? So the pharmacist is ultimately responsible for all medicine. You can't sort of rely on a machine to do this because ultimately you'll still be responsible for any kind of malpractice or misissuance of, of medicine. So it's imperative that all regulatory requirements are followed because, as you can imagine, if there's something new, the government will have its hands on it and regulate it. So you want to make sure you're compliant with that. You also want to make sure you spot check as the pharmacist that the medicine is being dispensed because, again, you are the one at risk. And as every pharmacy, you have to have the proper formation and you have to comply with all the regulatory requirements and have all your registrations. And PBMs is a huge topic I can talk about for days. In fact, I have. Remind us what a PBM is. So PBM is a pharmacy benefit manager. In three sentences, it is the middleman between your insurance company, you and your pharmacy. What happens is you get medicine, the pharmacy bills the PBM, and then the PBM collects from the insurance and they just happen to skim off the top. Yeah, everybody's got to make a profit, right? <laughs> a big one. They're the top three companies in the world somehow. Again, I can talk about this for hours. <laughs> but essentially, it's a big question mark of how audits are going to be handled if you're using this new machinery. How are they going to count it? Ideally, the volume would increase of dispensing because it's a more streamlined process. So would that cause any additional audits? Would it trigger any concerns from the PPMs, essentially? So those are some of the legal concerns. All right. Well, that is all very interesting. So development of telehealth, development of new urgent care facilities and developments and pharmacies, all leading to new legal challenges. Steve, I said you're a healthcare lawyer, but I don't think that does you justice. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about your practice. Absolutely. I work with medical-based businesses in their formation, making sure that they operate above board. I help clients with medical billing audits, with fraud investigations, medical license defense, and the same thing on the pharmacy side. I make sure that they're compliant with HIPAA law, with anti-kickback, with Stark statues, and I really help them organize to make sure that their goals are achieved without violating the law. All right. You try to keep them out of litigation, huh? Exactly. Oh, it makes less business for me, but I think it's probably a good <laughs> endeavor on your behalf. We do our best. Well, we, as you know, you've been here before. We don't let you out the virtual door here without a closing argument for our listeners. So what is the takeaway as pertains to advances in technology in the field of healthcare? The advances in technologies are leaps and bounds, like much of all technology. It is imperative that anyone invested in this technology or trying to operate these types of businesses, make sure they do what's right. Make sure they stay within the law and make sure that they structure themselves properly. So please speak to your local healthcare attorney. All right. Sounds like a good idea to me. Steve Polyakov, thank you for being with us today. We'll see you soon. Thanks so much, Rich. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you again for listening to Law Brief. Now here's something lawyerly, a disclaimer. We are not your lawyers. We do not have an attorney-client relationship, and this podcast does not constitute legal advice. If you need legal advice, you should contact and engage counsel of your own choosing who can best address your own situation and particular needs. You can find more information about our law firm, me, and many of our guests at our website, www.tartarkrinsky.com. 
We are a mid-size, full-service firm located in New York City and New Jersey. If you want to contact us for any reason, be it comments, topic ideas, or anything else, you can email us at podcast at tartarkrinsky.com. You can also follow this podcast on iTunes, among other places, and we would very much appreciate it if you rate or review us. I'm Rich Schoenstein, and this was Law Brief.